the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at uh, the great commission that, that Jesus gave to the disciples, his last words as he was preparing to depart. Then also in our scripture today, we heard the words, share with the Lord's people who are in need. And indeed, this is the challenge that is before us. This is the task that is before us. Practice hospitality. Now, as I grew up, I learned, and what I thought was hospitality, meant that you had to put on a beautiful table and set it in such a wonderful, marvelous way. You had to address every single need of somebody that would stay with you. Now, we at my home never had overnight guests. But when I grew up and I went to others, I saw their hospitality, their graciousness, their gifts to me. And I was just so in awe and impressed with that because I kept saying, I can't do that. I don't have that gift. And I used to laugh at myself and his family and friends would come. I says, hey, welcome to my, my B&B. The bed is here. The breakfast is there. If you're hungry, fix it yourself. They were good with that, and so was I. That was one way that I could offer hospitality. But God is saying, and as we have been looking at it, God told his followers to go and make disciples, to baptize them, to teach what it means to follow him for a lifetime. Now, over 2,000 years later, we here at Bethany continue to follow and to live out that mission. We continue to invite people to know who God is. We continue to work at inspiring people to follow Jesus Christ. And we are working to involve people to serve our neighbors, both near and far. In these past few weeks, Pastor Ben has been looking at Jesus' closing words that he gave to his disciples. We have come to know them as the Great Commission. Go into all of the world and make disciples, baptize and teach. We can't all go into all of the world. Some of us are better teachers than another. But teaching how each and every one of us can share in this commission, how we can take on that commission, or as Pastor Ben says, commissioned to invite others to know and to meet Jesus and God through Jesus Christ. And now each of us share with that as Jesus' disciples, as we continue to grow in faith and share in inspiring other people to follow Jesus Christ. That is our task today. That has not changed. As Jesus walked this earth with those early disciples, he talked with them and taught them daily. He talked and, and taught them about God, but not just about God. Because Jesus began to share and explain who God is in a way that they had never heard before. He talked about God as being a loving father. He spoke of the God who was and in a way that was new and refreshing to all of the disciples. Jesus spoke of the qualities and the attributes of God in a real and a tangible way. A way that brought God alive to them and allowed them to see God in a new and a more intimate way. Because Jesus spoke about God as his father, his beloved father. And as Jesus spoke, he spoke about the one true God, 
the same God and Father that wanted to have that same loving, intimate relationship with each of them and with us. The relationship of love is at the very center and the very core of who God is, and it is in the relationship of who we are with, in connection with God. Today, we will be exploring Jesus' last words to his disciples. We're continuing to do that. And we'll examine a third element of Jesus' instructions to those early disciples, and thus to us. And to listen to where God might be calling us next. Up until this time, the followers of God had been taught to follow the law, to fulfill the law. They sought to respond to God out of obedience, through the law. Everything was seen through the eyes of the law. Over time, obedience through the law and obedience to the details of the law became so central to the process, the way that they looked upon each other and treated each other. An example of the good aspect of that. The Israelites had a very high regard for the Sabbath. They took it very, very seriously. They knew when the Sabbath started, they knew when the Sabbath ended. They did not do anything and any work on the Sabbath. They held it completely aside to worship God, to help them ensure that they were keeping the Sabbath pure. And this is where it began to get a little murky. They set about defining what constituted work. Because if obeying the law meant that you had a relationship with God, you wanted to make sure that you obeyed the law. After all, they didn't want to allow those little unknowing things creep in and draw them away from keeping of the Sabbath. Now, obviously, they were not allowed to work in the fields or any place of employment. That was forbidden. That was by the law. But how, how far could you walk before it became work? So everybody needed, they defined it, and everybody needed to be close and live close enough to the synagogue that they could walk within that parameter to get to and from the synagogue to worship. No farther. Was cooking a meal work? Well, some of us would say, yes, it certainly is. Others would say, that's not work, that's easy. And others would say, well, it depends on how many are going to be there today. It was decided, however, w cooking was work. No ifs, ands about it. Everything had to be done the day before and left simmering on the fire or the stove. And of course, there was no shopping or exchanging of any money whatsoever on the Sabbath. But sometimes trying to keep that letter of the law took over. For example, when I was living in Chicago going to school, uh, there was an Orthodox Jewish community nearby, and on their high holy days, they would come or call our co college to ask if we could come and help with childcare at their homes. They had to instruct us what to do and what not to do. So, for instance, to turn the handle of a door was considered work. So they said, we will leave the door just open enough so it doesn't latch. And would you please, when you leave, do the same so that we can just nudge it just ever so slightly to enter. Doors needed to be situated so that they could be pushed open. Otherwise, it was work or they were locked shut out of their house. Much, much later than the Israelites of, of Jesus' time, pushing an, a button in an elevator was also considered work. 
And so you would go to, and especially when I was in the Holy Lands on a visit, go there on a high holy days or go there on a Sabbath. The elevators, certain elevators, they usually have two in a building, one for foreigners, one for the locals. The elevators of the locals were programmed to stop automatically at every single floor to allow the devout to enter and exit without breaking the Sabbath rule of pushing the button. Now, we might say, that's crazy. That's easy. But what they needed to do, they were keeping the letter of the law. But what happened when the details of the law shut out everything else? We might remember that when Jesus was criticized as he walked through a field with his disciples one day, and he just picked a little bit of grain to eat, because that was considered work. Just that little bit of picking of grain was considered work. What happened if somebody got hurt or was injured? Is that work to help them? Well, yes, it was. And so while it was easy to figure out how they might keep a pot simmering on a fire or stove for everybody's good, it was determined that it was okay to give basic first aid to an injured or sick person. However, it was work to move that individual. They could put on a bandage to stop a bleeding, but they could not take them to a safer place or a doctor. As Jesus first walked with those early disciples and talked and taught them on a daily basis, we also see in Scripture that Jesus challenged their way of thinking, how they thought about themselves and how they thought about each other. He challenged the way of thinking which placed one person above another or one group or nationality saying that one was better than another and more deserving than another. Jesus challenged that thought process. The disciples not only heard Jesus speaking the words, but they watched him as he demonstrated for them and set the examples for others to see and to follow. Jesus set examples when he spoke to the woman at the well. He had automatically done two no-nos. First, he talked to a woman. Second, she was a Samaritan. Oh, you don't do that. And oh yeah, by the way, Number three, she was alone, and you don't do that either. That was outside of what was appropriate. Jesus set the example when he healed the lepers and the lame. Jesus set the example for his disciples and for us concerning serving other people and meeting people's needs. What do these three, these individuals that I've already talked about have in common? The Samaritan woman, the lepers, the lame. Well, they were all outsiders. They were all cast-outs, castaways. They were all invisible to most of society. And they all had needs. But more importantly, they were all children of God, created in the image of God. And yet, they were looked down upon by most of society. And Jesus taught his early disciples. He challenged their way of viewing the law and viewing them. He challenged them to look at them differently. Jesus taught and demonstrated throughout his ministry that their way of thinking was an old way of thinking. Jesus was calling them above this mere obedience to the law, 
moving them from the dotting of the I's and the crossing of the T's saying, I've kept the law. I've kept every last aspect of it the best way that I can. Therefore, I am doing everything that I can. Thus, I feel pretty good about myself today. In the passage in Romans that was read for us, which Sandra read for us just a little moment ago, we hear that they and we are called to emulate the heart of God. Loving must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This was the new way of thinking that Jesus was presenting. This was the new way of treating and responding to other people, serving other people and meeting human needs, not because it was expected, but out of genuine love and compassion for others. Do you remember when Jesus was feeding of the 5,000? Remember they had come out early in the morning. They had sat and gathered on that hillside and they'd been there all day long listening to Jesus teach them. They had been sitting there all day. Now it was late. The disciples wanted to dismiss them. Tell Jesus, tell them to go home. Tell them to go home. But Jesus looked at the crowd. Jesus was filled with tenderness and compassion. The disciples wanted to send them away hungry, but Jesus was filled with compassion and tenderness. He wanted to feed them. Jesus had also been, had been teaching them all day, and yet this, through this one single act, he demonstrated to his disciples how they should now behave and respond to the others. The disciples saw a crowd of people, a mass of people, a blur of people and faces. Jesus saw individual faces and individual people and had compassion. They saw an impossible task. How can we possibly feed all these people? Jesus saw a need, hungry people. They wanted to dismiss them and send them away. Jesus wanted to care for them. Jesus led with sincere love. The disciples did not. Now, in fairness to the disciples, if we had, as a staff here at the church, had been tasked with, uh, after a long day of a seminar or activity here, hey, feed all these people, will you? How? With what? What are we going to do? Are you crazy? Those may have been some of the thoughts the disciples were thinking too. They were also tired and hungry. Perhaps they were just being practical. After all, they didn't have any food with them either, and they certainly didn't have enough to feed that large crowd. And how much is it going to cost? How much money do we have in the till and the coffers? But whatever their motivation was, it was not out of love and concern for those crowds and for those individuals not for the ones that were gathered in the hot sun along the hillside. They were not motivated, motivated by love that day. To illustrate, Jesus oftentimes used a story to help people better understand what he was trying to say. And so Jesus illustrated and wanted to respond, to let the people know how they should respond and to treat other people. And so one day he told them a story. Part of the story goes like this. He told a story about two men. 
The first man was attacked. He was beaten. He was left half dead on the side of the road. The second man, a Samaritan traveling the road, came upon him. And when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. And he gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him up on his donkey. He led him to an inn, and he made him comfortable. And in the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. If it costs any more than this, put it on my bill, and I'll pay you on the way back. The Samaritan saw the man's condition, and his heart went out to this injured man. The Samaritan let love lead his actions. He did not count the cost. And in fact, he did not let the cost deter him. He even said, hey, if there's more, I've got, here's two coins, but if there's more, I'll pay you later. We know this story as the Good Samaritan story. Serving other people and meeting humans' needs can be incredibly satisfying. And yet, as the disciples realized and was illustrated by the, by the Samaritan, it oftentimes will cost something. Service requires our time, our energy, the use of our talents, and the use of our money. Just look at the way the Samaritan, what it cost him. It cost him time. It cost him energy. It cost him his clothing, part of his clothing, because he ripped his clothes to make the bandages to take care of the man. It cost him energy as he lifted the man up and put him on his donkey. It cost him energy as he led the man, instead of being on the donkey, led the man to the inn, and he now had to walk. It cost him money as he gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, whatever his, his need. Service does require our time, our energy, the use of our talents, and oftentimes the use of our money. Service in the name of Jesus oftentimes also asks us to do some things that we're not, not nat naturally inclined to do, alongside of and on behalf of people that we may not naturally gravitate toward. It may be giving up a Saturday or part of a day off, a day that you really, really looked forward to relaxing, or catching up with some projects at home yourself. Instead, you respond to a need. You join with others on a work day. You join with others to gather food for a food pantry. You join with others to help someone in need by cleaning up a yard or doing some painting or planting of flowers or mowing of the grass. Service requires our time, our energy, the use of our talents and our money. We'll oftentimes find our preferences needing to be set aside for the sake of those that God might call us to serve. But there is so oftentimes amazing joy to be found in serving the way that Jesus did. I've had the opportunity myself to gather with others on a number of work projects, mission projects, both near and far, both one-day events and some that are longer projects. Some of those I engaged in willingly, and I thought, oh, this is going to be great fun. It's going to be so good to be together with other people. It's going to be so good to get a project done. But each and every one of those required that I clear my calendar for that event. The cost was putting my own agenda, my needs aside for that period of time. 
I remember a number of years ago being a part of a home front project, which is similar to Habitat for Humanity. There were others in our congregation that joined as well. And I watched as those that could and enjoyed climbing ladders did so as they repaired and replaced gutters. And they painted the side of a home of an elderly woman who was disabled. I joined with others much, much closer to the ground as we painted walls and cut down overground bushes, as we planted flowers and hauled away trash, watching as the yard was being transformed and the house was taking shape, taking on a much newer look, a fresh look. And I watched as a smile of appreciation came across the face of that woman, thankful for all of the love that was shown to her by strangers People that she had never met. I'd never met this woman before either. I've never seen her again. But she was appreciated for the effort that we took that day. And though this was not the motivation, there is so oftentimes a sense of amazing joy that can be found in serving in the way that Jesus did. It just feels good to help other people out. Service to others does, and it will cost us. We can't get around that. There's no doubt about it in any way or any other, in any way or shape. It may cost us time, for sure. Energy, okay. And it might cost us a little bit more. But that, as the Good Samaritan, the disciples, they had not yet figured out and not yet, not yet realized that serving people and meeting human needs can be incredibly satisfying. It is the motivation that does, in fact, keep us going. They did, each and every one of them, recognized what it was going to cost them. The disciples looked at the crowd, looked at the cost involved with feeding the 5,000, the time, the energy, going into town to get the food, the time and energy of to carry it back, and then the cost of the food itself. As they looked, the cost was too high. They felt that they couldn't invest in that. The Samaritan looked at the cost of the care of that injured man, and he was willing to pay for it, plus more. Service in the name of Jesus oftentimes asks us to do some things that we're not naturally inclined to do, alongside of and on behalf of people that we may not naturally be gravitated toward. We'll often find out our preferences that needing to be set aside for the sake of those that God calls us to serve. But there is so often amazing joy to be found serving in the way that God did, serving in the way that Jesus did. As we examine scripture, we see how God's word continues to guide us today. And we celebrate how God's spirit remains at work in and through Bethany and through Bethany's people in the ministries here and now. And I've invited Rob Satterberg to come as we share together, and he's going to share some of the ways that Bethany has been involved in ministry here in our local community, reaching out to help serve our neighbors. Rob is the chair of our missions and social out outreach committee and has been doing this for a number of years. And so I want you to share with us some of those ways that Bethany has been involved in supporting and caring for our neighborhood. And 
not just what are we doing, but why are we doing it? Thanks, Diane. Um, it has been my privilege over um, now more than 12 years to participate at some level in missions and social action in Bethany as a volunteer, uh, later on as a member of church council, uh, heading up that team and uh, participating on mission trips and various other um, uh, events that we invited folks from the church to participate in. And I've been amazed through the years at the response of Bethany folks, of the ways in which people uh, dug in and, and were a part of an adventure, and um, even how young people and older people worked together on these projects. It's really um, very inspiring. Our mission statement calls for us to be concerned for our neighbors, and Today, we really focused, with Diane's help, on, on thinking about the way that Jesus looked at people and the kind of compassion and concern that he had. Our vision statement for mission indicates that we're concerned for neighbors both near and far. And I think next week, we'll probably hear more about the work that's going on in world mission. Mm -hmm. That is to say, what, what uh, the Covenant Church has been involved in uh, globally uh, for over a hundred years. But Bethany itself, in its history of, of uh, its start in New Britain and many years of service there, had already a tradition of involvements. And when I uh, started to work with our team, I found that we were shifting gradually from focus on New Britain to other communities where people now lived. And we've had the opportunity in this past year to be involved with uh, a new venture, which was our, our food drives um, to help with very practical uh, food and hunger needs for people. Um, it happened to coincide with the pandemic and the loss of employment for folks, uh, but we're finding that the needs uh, for food have always been there and probably are going to continue. So at this point, uh, our food bank uh, collections and our participation with food banks in uh, uh, New Britain and in Berlin and in Middletown uh, are one of the ways that we've been reaching out locally here to uh, our neighbors. That was a part of the dream again uh, vision that came out of our vitality process. So in addition to food drives, which are pretty easy to participate in, um, they have been led by a number of, that is, they've been sort of sponsored by a number of our small groups, our connect groups, uh, also by the youth. And we're looking forward to continuing that. So if you would like to connect with the food drives and be a part of that, Kathy Griswold is the coordinator uh, along with uh, Edie Chandler. And you could be a part of continuing our work with food. A new thing is they're making sandwiches now. Uh, Allie could tell you more about sandwiches, but they made like 200 sandwiches last Saturday to deliver to also the, uh, the soup kitchen um, and where they do feeding uh, of hungry people. Volunteer service takes on many forms. We have had some good examples just this year. While we couldn't do a lot of things because of uh, COVID, we found that there were some things that we could still get involved in. 
And my wife connected us with the Hartford Project and got us um, doing two things, being involved in the Spring Serve, which allowed us to go down on just a Saturday to the city of Hartford and connect with local ministries and volunteer our time. Some of us got to know the work that was going on at the Covenant Prep School, Preparatory School, which while it says Covenant isn't connected to our group of Covenant churches, but is an, a, a ministry of education and um, enhancement to young boys in the city of Hartford uh, to prepare them to be very successful in their years in schooling as they went off to high school. Uh, and they've had a remarkable success rate in getting those students um, who were at risk in terms of education to not only graduate, but to go on to college and to be successful. So part of our Saturday serve went there and learned about the ministry of Covenant Prep, which led to what we did uh, a week ago, which was painting classrooms down at Covenant Prep, and uh, Tim Upstrup invited a number from church. We had over 20 volunteers during that week taking part in the uh, upgrading of those classrooms, getting them ready for the students to come back now this fall. Um, it was also our privilege on the Saturday serve to meet the folks who do this street church every Saturday down in Hartford, right in front of City Hall. And I don't know if you've ever driven down there on a Saturday morning, but uh, they set up an outdoor uh, center of, of aid for street people, people who are uh, needing help, some homeless, others uh, just having um, uh, various practical needs. They give away lunch. They have uh, clothing to make available. They have a worship service. They've even baptized uh, young uh, and old in the fountain in front of City Hall. So if you can picture that uh, uh, happening on a Saturday morning where the good news was being spread. And we've had several of our volunteers who continue to partner with the street church and go down there and to participate. We look for ways to connect people with ministry opportunities. Our missions and social action team will continue to let you know when there are things you can participate in and to say thank you to those who have and who will as we go forward in the days ahead. I just want to point out that if you're not a part of a small group, a connect group, or some other group through which you can serve, I'd invite you to consider that because even our connect group that Ruth and I are a part of We've, we've learned about helping folks within our congregation that have special need or a concern. Um, and that's one of the ways. It doesn't always have to be far away. It doesn't even have to be for people we don't know. Sometimes there are needs right in our own congregation. Mike and Beth Hadbeb have been for years collecting furniture and other household needed items, storing them in our garage out here, and then delivering them to families when it came up that they had needs through DCF referrals. That's something that you could connect with too. If you have items that you no longer need and you check with Mike or Beth and say, hey, I've got some stuff here that maybe a family could use. Mike will say to us, just think of yourself as arriving in an apartment with just your suitcases, now what do you need? You need a bed, you need a table, 
you need something to eat off of, uh, and you need um, a, a few things that make it home. And that's what folks from our church have been doing, Diane. Okay, great. And if folks can't be quite as hands-on of painting or uh, of, of being able to coordinate a food drive and that type of thing, or being able to go down to Hartford, what are some other ways that they might be able to share in ministry of and um, participate in helping those neighbors in, in need? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. We found that, uh, that there's a, a certain group within the congregation that are really great at volunteering and making themselves available for this kind of work. There are others, our seniors, it may be also folks who have limitations of being able to work or do these physical activities. Um, we invite people to consider the ministry of prayer and supporting the work of others um, through uh, being interested, being connected, uh, asking questions, finding out what needs are, or maybe even sharing a need with the church staff or with our committee so that we know some things that we could also be involved in. Prayer is central, but financial support sometimes comes in handy as well. Uh, once in a while when we have a project, we not only need to look for volunteers, but maybe for some support for the expenses of doing the event. Um, we also look for ways in which we can encourage um, our missionaries, not only um, the covenant missionaries that are working abroad, but also other friends that we may have in mission, by sending an email or writing a letter or remembering them at the time of their birthdays. These are all able to be found for us in the covenant uh, missionary prayer calendar, which is out in the lobby. Um, if you've never seen that, you might pick up a copy and take a look at it. Uh, it's one of the ways to just be an encourager. Uh, that was one of the things that Paul wrote about in Romans. If it's your gift to be a helper, help. If it's your gift to be a person who prays for and supports, then you can do that part of it. Tim Eck, who was the uncle of our former pastor, uh, gave us a way to think about mission and he would say along with the financial support that if there is no margin then there can be no mission we have to be able to uh, give in such a way that it's uh, sufficient not only for our own uh, needs and concerns here locally but allows us to bless others all around and you probably would know if you looked at our budget that each year we set aside a pretty significant amount of our budget to be involved with both world mission but also local and uh, encouraging us to be even more so uh, uh, connected both physically and with our prayer and with our finances. And what's the driving force? Why do we do this? That's probably more mm -hmm. important or equally as important with doing it. What, in, in just a few words, what drives us? What, what calls us to do this? Well, I think you recognize that we are all, as disciples of Jesus, looking for ways to do kingdom work. And, and there is nothing more central to the cause of Christ than just the things that we were talking about today. The example of Jesus, to follow Jesus means to be a person who's looking for those that you could bless in your, in your own neighborhood, in your own world, um, and finding ways to do so uh, generously, 
willingly and with joy, um, just to see the change that it can make in people's lives, to encourage them to come to um, experience a, a better place in their community, maybe to experience for the first time real mutual respect and love from people that they don't even know, as you gave good example. Um, I think we do it because we're called to do it by the, uh, the example of Jesus, and I think we want to follow as disciples in all ways, both in our spiritual lives, but also in our, our lives relationally in our communities. And Bethany will like to continue to have a reputation as a congregation that cares for others, that welcomes uh, the stranger, that's concerned about the neighbor, and that invites participation. Thank you so much. Thank you. In the scriptures and in our neighborhoods. Yeah, let's say thank you. <laughs> they never needed to look far to see somebody that was in need of God's love. God's loving hand, our loving hand, extended out to others. And we don't have to look far either. The hungry, the outcast, those that are oftentimes invisible. When we stop and we look, we see that they are everywhere near, everywhere around us. Jesus has challenged his disciples then and now to open up their eyes and their heart to extend the love, God's love, to another in need. As we have received, as we have been blessed, we have the opportunity of sharing that love and that blessing. And so uh, that's what keeps us motivated. That's what keeps us going is to serve God because we have received. We have received of God's love and we receive it and, so that we can give it again as well. Next week, Pastor Ben will be exploring the fourth of an area of our vision and a mission statement. Um, as uh, uh, Rob has already talked about, loving our neighbors, not just nearby, but loving our neighbors that are far away. And so uh, that will be our focus next week as we continue and as we wrap up God's commission. Not that that's going to be the final word, but as we continue to send our way and find our way to serve God in our local communities. Thank you. <laughs>